I'll go start the coffee. I'll be down in a minute. Scooby-dooby-dooby-doo-wop. Pastor and Laura, wake up. Good morning. Welcome to Bible study time with the Colanders. We are on Acts chapter 4 this morning, and we're starting where Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. All right, so hold on one second. I'm just going to look back to yesterday's. They healed the man who was crippled. They went up at about the time of prayer. So chapter 3 says, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And they heal this guy. They start speaking. And now today, it's about about the evening. So they've been there five hours. Does it say evening? Yeah, it just said that on um, chapter chapter 4, verse 3. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Yeah. It's also... This just struck me that I never really put this together, that um, the Pharisees and the chief priests, you know, they went to Pilate after Jesus had risen from the dead. The soldiers went there, and they started spreading this rumor that Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. Right. That people had come out. So now when they're preaching, he has risen from the dead. You know, not only is it against them that they're spreading these conspiracies and lies because they're really into it, but it's also, you know, on the soldiers and what Pilate allowed them to do. Let me go back and find that section when you're going to the next. Okay, I'll start reading and you can look that up. You're saying that, like, there might be kind of like a a law or, like, it's, you know, like... I'm just saying they're really engrossed in this lie now, you know, that they have told all the people that Jesus hasn't risen from the dead. Right. And now they're preaching. Yeah. That he has, and, you you know, they have all these witnesses, so. It's like Um, fake news. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so anyway, I just wanted to make sure, because it's good that we're reading it straight through. That helps me contextualize it. But even just taking a break for a day, you know, mm-hmm. what did we read yesterday? I forgot for a second. So they've been there for several hours, but the number of men grew to about 5,000. So from what it was before, 3,000 to 5,000. So in one afternoon, 2,000 people. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas... The high priest was there, and so were, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. 
you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone which you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they decided, or I'm sorry, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And then there's a new section here, so we'll stop for a second. Did you find what you were looking for? Yeah, it's in Matthew 28. Um, Basically, verses 11 through 15. So right before the Great Commission. And the other day, I said the Great Commission. This is also the verse that um, I said that it didn't take place, you know, on the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascended. Mm -hmm. So the Great Commission, it says here, took place in Galilee, which is Mm -hmm. in the north Mm -hmm. where... uh, Nazareth was and Jerusalem was in the south of Israel. But anyway, the guards report. Um, this is Matthew twenty-eight eleven through 15. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this soldier has been widely circulated among the Jews. The soldier? Huh? The story, right? And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So they paid a bunch of money, you know, to bribe them to lie. Yeah. And so it looked bad on a lot of people. If this got out... Um, right, but it's pretty much their word against the disciples' word, you know? And now this is proof that the disciples are telling the truth because they have a miracle, you know? Like they mm-hmm. can do things by the power of Jesus. So now people who are listening are going to, you know, believe mm-hmm. that rather than believe the story. Although a lot of people still do or did. Mm-hmm. believe that story. So. But you also know that the chief priests are corrupting the soldiers. I mean, there was a lot of corruption between like the tax collectors and the soldiers and things like that. That's why yeah. the Apostle Paul has to talk to him about that. Um, not what extorting people. Corrupting the soldiers. 
Well, if they had paid him a large sum of money to lie in yeah. this way, they would have had connections in there to say, hey, those two guys throw him in jail for the night. Right. You know, they could have a Jewish prison, but obviously they couldn't kill anyone. But well, yeah, I mean, the legal system back then is much different than yes. now. So Yeah, especially if you were a <laughs> Roman citizen like Peter and John were right. not. I mean, they literally helped someone... And they're being thrown in jail because the high priest said they were they should be locked up, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, the big thing is too, there was not freedom of speech. You mm-hmm. can't just say whatever you want. <laughs> if you said something that people didn't like or the leaders and government didn't like, they would mm-hmm. throw you in jail. I mean, yeah. So anyway. All right. <clears throat> Was there anything else in the section that just read about the Sanhedrin that you wanted to comment on? Or? No. Okay. Yeah. Just, I, you know, this this man who's 40 years old, who's been crippled since birth, you know, and that I think they're saying that because it's just a way of showing that everyone knows it. Everyone who's been going to the temple, he's like a common figure who had been sitting there mm-hmm. you know if you're like a kid in your 20s and you been going to temple every week and this mm-hmm. guy's literally been there your whole life mm-hmm. you know that this isn't just oh he was faking it for a week yeah, this he's is not just a some, plant yeah he's just a vagrant guy they just yeah. he's been sitting here acting lame for a week so that he would get up <clears throat> like this is someone who everyone knows is is really truly, you know, needing help, and and they can do this miracle through Jesus, and that's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. All right, so verse twenty three, so Acts four, verse twenty three. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Okay, so that's the end of the prayer. A lot to get into with this, but again, this kind of touches on... God's will or God's plan in verse 27-28 everybody you know they name all the people gathered together to conspire against Jesus they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen this could be like an hour long or more Bible study but what can you say about this quickly They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. 
together to conspire against your servant Jesus who you anointed. I feel like it's saying this, um, the little section that we just read in, in 25 and 26, that's from um, the Psalms. That's the prophecy. The kings take their stand and the rulers gather together against the anointed one. And now they're saying this prophecy was fulfilled. But Correct. at the same time, we know it's not God's will that people will sin. God wants us to follow the law. So he didn't force or lead Pontius Pilate or Herod into doing something bad so that a prophecy would be fulfilled. What do you want to say about how that's yeah. phrased in God's plan? Well, just the big thing is foreknowledge is always different than, um, like, God compelling someone to do something. You know, we do, we as humans have free will. That's, you know, from the very beginning of creation, God has given us free will, which is what makes life life. You know, rather than just a simulation where you're just watching yourself do things. You can choose what you're going to do in every situation. And I think when you talk about God's will not to go down into the individual behaviors of, um, you know, Pilate of doing this, cause, or Pilate, you know, folding under the pressure of the Jews. Mm-hmm. But you look at what was God's will. God's will was that Jesus would suffer and die on the cross for all of our sins and pay this ultimate price. And in order for that to happen, he had to go through Pontius Pilate because, you know, it wasn't Pontius Pilate that one day woke up and said, oh, I'm going to put to death this Jesus guy. Mm -hmm. It was the Jewish people, you know, his church that had corrupted themselves to this level. Mm-hmm. And because it was so public, because it was out in the open, because it was during Passover, 3,000 people, you know, at the next festival were converted. Everyone knew about this. So right. the, well, just not the, to look at the will through the evil, but the will for... We should have like a separate study on this because I I always just have a lot of questions about it even if um you look here and there's a footnote i've got the concordia self-study bible i mentioned before um concordia self-study bible niv 1984 um anyway there's a note on this verse that says decided beforehand not that god had compelled them to act as they did but he willed them to you or he willed to use them and their freely chosen acts to accomplish his saving purpose. And to me, that's just something that's confusing because he's saying he willed them to use their freely chosen acts. So it's, that doesn't make it sound like it's really freely chosen if it's willed by God. But again, I don't know how much time we should spend talking about this because you, you could go on and on. Well, for, you could just you could contemplate this for the rest of your life. Because yeah. it's, it is a mystery for our human minds to try and contemplate um, how God uses his power to work through mankind. Mm-hmm. You know, 
why he allows some evil to happen, why he stops other evil from happening by sending his angels. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's a complete mystery. And I just guess the short answer is whenever I get questioned about this, I go to Job. And, you know, Job seen all this evil that happens to him in his life, and God's answer to him is, I'm God. I have done so many things. You know, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Do you take care of all the wild animals? Do you do this? Do you do this? You know, and you're a man. I'm God. You have no right to ask me these things. Right. And when Job hears that, he goes, you're right. Um, I'm at your mercy. You know, you are the all-powerful God. For some reason, you choose to love me, forgive me, and... He's forgiven and God loves him. And that is very unsatisfying for us who always want everyone to explain everything to us perfectly. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Oh, yeah. And sometimes I mean, you just have to go, well, I trust don't you. Know, like, you know, the Trinity and being fully God, fully man and, you know, objective and subjective justification, mm-hmm. all sorts of things that we, you know, are very difficult to understand but this is something that I feel like it comes up a lot. You know, did I really have a choice in this? Or was God guiding me to the right decision? And then in that case, why did he allow me to make this bad decision? Was this part of God's plan? And it just always seems to come up, especially I feel like when we study, um, again, this is getting really off topic, but like Rahab in the Old Testament, she is the prostitute who lives in uh, Jericho. Mm -hmm. The spies sneak in. She hides them, and she lies about the mean on their roof. And the, you know, question is, is it okay to lie if you're doing something that helps God? And I feel like the answer I've always been given is, God doesn't need you to lie. God doesn't, you don't, he doesn't require a sin from us. And then Rahab shouldn't have lied. And God probably would have taken Jericho in a different way. But was it his will that she did lie? Because that was the See, easiest I'm not, way. That's true. And just honestly speaking, I hope I would have lied in that situation. I would hope I would have had the courage to lie in that situation. Right. The same as if I was a Jewish person or a you know, German person hiding Jewish people during the Holocaust. But I guess I've heard or been told by other people, other pastors or professors, that if God, you're, she took on herself, uh, God can't do this. I need to do what's in my power to save these people. Kind of like, I need to do something that's wrong because there's no other way that God could save these people. Kind of showed like a distrust in God. That if you trusted God, she would have just said, yeah, they're on the roof, and God would have provided another way to save them or some, you know, his will of giving the city of of Jericho to um, the Israelites still would have been accomplished, but without a sin. Like, God doesn't require sin for his law to be done. And maybe I've been... Misled yeah, I just, or I just I've misinterpreted those just, lessons. But. When you make it so 
black and white in that way, you know? Um, but I God just does not want us to sin. You're right. I think... He doesn't want us to. He doesn't want us to sin, and sin is wrong. And, you know, God... The Bible says that God hates a lying tongue. Um, but... Um, I mean, to get us back on track, God doesn't no. want us to kill Jesus. He doesn't want us to kill people. Right. I think he doesn't want we're, us to put an I innocent think we're person this, on trial. But that was his will. The, the temptation here is to fall into the trap that Adam fell into as soon as God accused him of sin, is to go, the woman you put here with me caused me to sin, is to blame God for compelling us to sin. And you have to go to, I think it's James, God certainly tempts no one to sin. You know, that is God that, is not... Is that in James, or is that just what Martin Luther says in his explanation? No, it's, it's in James. Okay. Um, certainly tempts... So to just to never say that God is the one that makes anyone sin. God is the one that make, makes people fall. I mean, it goes in the sins of obstinate, or uh, like Pharaoh hardening his heart. It was always Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and finally God hardens his heart. So God is the author of good. There is God is holy. Evil does not come from God. And... Um, the lying immorality, I think that's kind of a, a different topic than this, that God works through sinful actions in order to accomplish good things. Mm -hmm. And this world is terrible. This world is evil, you know? And for whatever reason, the will of God uh, has created a plan of salvation that allows sin and pain to continue until the day when Jesus comes back. And um, if you read throughout the Old Testament, over and over and over again, you have these prophets calling out, how long, O Lord, how long will you allow this evil to happen? Mm -hmm. So it's not, a, it's, it's not a question that even prophets can answer easily. And I think it's something to just keep praying to God how long will you let this happen? Lord, please come quickly to help us. Please come quickly to save us. Let your kingdom come, you know, rule over this world. Yeah. And well, uh, pray saying, to God for strength. I know, I'm not I've, saying that we're not going to sin or that, um, you know, obviously when we do sin, God is using that. That's what this little explanation on, in the bottom of the Bible is saying here. He used them and their acts, their freely chosen acts, to accomplish his purpose. So it could say freely chosen sinful acts because they did choose to do something sinful. He, used, he uses everything, our mistakes and our sins and other people's mistakes and tragedies, all of it, you know, will lead to the eternal good of the kingdom. But it's just something that Philosophically, I feel I get sucked into thinking a lot. I know it comes up in like, you know, fantasy novels and TV shows about like parallel universes or mm -hmm. if you choose this or you choose this, are you going to end up on the same path? Like, can you change your fate? Kind of, you know, like if, if you would have said this, Jesus still would have had to die for our sins. Would it have happened a different way? 
Or did he even have a choice? This is exactly what he was going to choose. He couldn't have chosen anything else. And that's, that's just kind of, you know, it's irrelevant, I guess. Or man, I don't well, know. Well, he could have chosen anything, but whatever he chose, God would have known in advance what he had chosen. Right, but if Pilate really would have said, no, no, I'm absolutely not going to kill Jesus, they would have taken him to some other leader or just murdered them himself. You know, like something would have happened that Jesus would have died. Even if right. Pilate would have chosen a righteous choice. Yeah, and I think... Or there's just no way that that could have happened. I mean, I don't know. Maybe... There's no way he could Maybe have we think of this that. always, you know, in the context of time, that God has this script for how the world is. And you get to the Psalms and he writes, you know, this is going to happen a thousand years from now. And then you get to Pilate and it's like, well, the script is already written. You have nothing else to do. But for God, you know, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day and being outside of time. He just is commenting to David what he sees clearly happening already with Pilate, you know. And that's impossible for us to fathom. But it's not that he compelled these people to do evil things he just he just knows without a doubt what's going to happen and reports it the future like it is the present and the past like it is the future you know it's just Mm -hmm. um it's just the awesomeness of our god that makes it very clear he has knowledge beyond our understanding uh and i guess to just marvel at his awe rather than to accuse him and say, well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this? Is, you know, kind of the difference of like a child saying, okay, yeah, mom and dad, I know you love me, rather than, well, why didn't you do this? That's not fair, and you know, kind of whining about it. Yeah, it's just confusing that we have unlimited choices and free will, but God knows what we're going to choose. So in a way, it seems pre-written, like we have to follow this path where we really can do anything, but God knew about it in the past. So it's kind of, it just makes it seem like it's predestined or pre-planned, but really it's, it is our choices. God just knows what choices we're going to make. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I know. I know I understand. I mean, like, I know I can explain it like that, but it's still very difficult to... Well, our minds can't wrap our minds, you know? Like, we don't know what it's like to... Be omniscient? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So when we try and imagine what that's like, the only way we can know it is saying, oh, if I know the future. Like, if I knew that, you know, something terrible was going to happen... I was standing next to you and a car was going to come and hit you, you know? This is no, more it is morbid, but what would I do? <laughs> I would grab you and I would walk away from that corner because I wouldn't want that to happen to you, Right. you know? And for God, standing back from it and allowing things to happen because he, you know, because he's working through this world, I think that's where, at least for myself... I, you know, just have to say, okay, God, you have a plan. And the God's perfect will and God's real plan for us, what he wanted for us in creation 
will be completely realized in yeah. heaven. You know, here it's we're still just, tainted. Yeah, sorry. I was just thinking it's just crazy how much God knows, you know, because I can't even remember everything that's happened to me in my short life. <laughs> like, people say, do you remember when we did this? I don't remember that. But, you know, he does, He knows every single thing that's happened to us. He knows every single thing that's going to happen to us. Mm-hmm. And not just, like, you personally, your timeline, but the millions of people in this world, like, who's going to get hit by a bus? Who's going to, you know, have cancer? Who's going to have this? Who's going to, you know, be pu- punished under Pontius Pilate? All this stuff. And how those futures are going to interact with each other and what they're going to lead to and then your children and your children's children and everything for all eternity and he knows every single one of those things like that's just a, just a crazy amount of knowledge to have it yeah just blows and it's mind. not like you know the the wisest person is getting close to god's wisdom no. you know it's on just a completely different plane that the wisdom of God, I mean, this is in First Corinthians, was it 2, 1 or 2? You know, just about, like, the wisdom of man isn't even close to, like, the foolishness of God. Like, it's just, and it's not that God is foolish, it's just trying to separate them. That there's such a chasm between those two things. Yeah, there's, like, no way we could ever be close to that, so try and understand this free will versus God plan sort of thing is just... Yeah, it, like, hurts your brain after a little while, and you just kind of go in circles, which is why I think we should keep going because we're just kind of turning our wheels. But I think it's something worth expressing that um, we don't know anything, and there's still (laughs) things that... No, but there's still things that we really still wrestle with, and wrestling with faith is good, you know, as long as you go back to the Bible for your answers. And as long as you know that God... God knows more than we do because there's people in this world who say, well, I can't understand this doctrine, so this whole Christianity nonsense mm-hmm. is made up because that, that's too hard to understand. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, having something that's too hard to understand shows how much God knows. You know, it doesn't make it false. It just means it's, you know, we are worshiping higher being, you know, not a mortal who can make sense, but someone who can do things we can't even comprehend. Mm-hmm. And All the right. things that are, one last thing, and one the things that thing. we can <laughs> easily understand right. are that God loves us, we are sinners, right. and we're going to heaven because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Well, that's, Those things yeah. are clear, you Those know, and clear. easily understand. Those are, that's what's the, the important thing that God mm-hmm. says over and over again. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right, so we had just left off at the end of this prayer where they're asking for boldness, and we're on Acts 4, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and and spoke the word of God boldly. Pretty cool. All right, next section last section of this chapter the believers share their possessions all the believers were one in heart and mind no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own but they shared everything they had with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the lord jesus and much grace was upon them all 
There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. That's the end of chapter four. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you uh, want to say about the believers sharing their possessions? Just that they were a family who cared for each other. They really viewed each other as brothers and sisters. And they had a small enough community where they were able to do that. And the, the real important thing there is according to their need. You know, that there were people that were humble and generous and if someone truly had need the church said let's help them in this way that we can you know it's not that everyone sometimes this is used you know to like defend you know like socialism or communism or something like that but Mm -hmm. um i think you just have to look at it like as a, a family unit you know when i come home with groceries what do i do people eat the groceries according to their need you know they're not mine they're my family's like we're just we're this community that we share everything we have and for their church at that time that's how they really viewed each other that they were a family so when somebody had possessions they said what can we do and the smaller the group you have the easier it is to do that yeah exactly i think that has shown itself in if you look at like social studies of groups throughout history that the smaller a tribe or country or city is you know that they're they're sharing more mm-hmm. and when you're taking advantage of once you tend not to share mm-hmm. and then there's the the greed and the you know more of the what's mine is mine work harder for yourself if you want something and and they you know to some degree i'm sure they were all working and uh trying to survive they're not just sitting around waiting for the money to run out but uh that's yeah. the our american lens where you know pushed against socialism in these different ways yeah. so hearing this is kind of like oh they're sharing like this sounds a little off and or you might even like wonder oh did some people take advantage of these well they did these other people that's why in thessalonians paul has to say if a man doesn't work then neither shall he eat because they were just hanging out waiting for jesus to come back and saying okay church support me yeah so but i think in our families you're right you know we help each other um and then even i'm not talking about in our two adults supporting children sort of way, but in your extended family, you help your your family, but at some points, if there's someone who's really, you know, not contributing or not whatever, you know, a family will cut that person off for their own good and, mm-hmm. oh, you know, but I think churches can be giving and, you know, I have a lot of stuff and I would like to share that with, the people in our church who don't or help them get on their feet or 
mm-hmm. support them through this, <clears throat> excuse me, tough time. And, and that's what God wants us to do is to show love, not to be selfish and not to worry about, you know, is this person deserving, but just give, give um, generously. Yeah, and I think one thing that might be overlooked here is the fact that you have a group of people that knows each other mm-hmm. intimately enough to know when someone does have need. You know, that there's not the pride of, I don't need anything. Um, there's the humility to ask for help, to look to people, and there's the generosity there. And just the fact that everyone in this group really views their church as their extended family that they are taking care of, not as a place that they go to be, you know, charged up spiritually and then heads out into the world. It's their home and a place that they can really help and serve their God. Um, And that's lost sometimes, you know, where you don't know everybody at your church or your early service or late service people or, you know, things like that where yeah. you just don't get close to people. So to build those relationships is important. But anyhow, yeah, a lot last, of topics. <laughs> <laughs> and the last thing is that this is the last verse here. It says, from time to time people brought, you know, the sales of their homes and then they specifically name Joseph a Levite who the apostles call, called Barnabas and he's going to be a key figure moving forward in Acts. Mm-hmm. So he's selling his things to help the others, but he's also giving up his land because he's about to enter like full-time ministry basically. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as full-time as they all are, you know, they all have Spoiler alert. Tent, yeah. <laughs> tent ministries. <laughs> well, I'm just saying it's not like, you know, when you first read this, you might be like, well, why is this guy getting singled out? Why they said all these people are doing it. And then he, they rewrite the same thing. Joseph sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Mm-hmm. He's mentioned for a specific reason. Well, some of them also had multiple houses and multiple parts of land. So it's not like they're going homeless and living at the church. Yeah. So. Well, I think we've talked enough this morning. We'll uh, talk some more tomorrow about Chapter 5. Have a good day.